Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. I'm James Deacon and welcome to Desert Island Dicks, the show that sees you marooned on a desert island after a plane crash with the worst people and worst things imaginable. Who they are and why they were a dick is up to you. And here to share their Desert Island Dicks with us today is Brexit Commissioning Editor for The Telegraph, Asa Bennett. Hello. Hi, Asa. How are you? I'm delighted to be here. Yeah, thank you so much. Away for from coming. thinking about Brexit for a bit. A bit of a Brexit break. Oh, nice. Okay, a little Brexit break, break on the island. Oh, yeah, it's a bit sort of a catharsis. I mean, obviously, you have to get quite far away from the Brexit debate like this. But if a desert island is my refuge, so be it. Okay, nice. Um, okay, as always, let's dive in. Who's going to be your first person? Well, I think I'm going to have to head straight for him, George Galloway. George Galloway. Okay. Oh, now, he obviously was the former Respect MP and very much as, uh, you know, I have no idea what he's doing these days, mainly because, I'll just be blunt, he's blocked me on Twitter. Okay. I, I cannot have any idea at all. We have clashed before, uh, it, the, the almighty gorgeous George that he is, and it was for the weird reason because I'm part of the special club of being blocked by George Galloway on Twitter uh, because I, re- made a, I reported how he didn't compare the SNP to Nazis or something. I basically was fact-busting for him and he's so touchy. His people just thought, right, that's it. He put the word Nazi and Galloway in a headline. Block, basically. Oh, wow. And okay. I've tried to point... Uh, basically, he's just got such a fantastically thin skin that afterwards, I, um, you, you know, I pointed out later on that he ran for London mayor. And in the campaign, I think it was uh, back when Zach Goldsmith and Sally Khan were running, he had this maverick thing of George with the kind of trilby hat, like he's some kind of wannabe mobster. Yeah. And he, re- he recorded the strangest video of him, like in a misty night, walking down the street for about 30 seconds, a long tracking shot. And you're thinking, okay, where's this going? And he sort of goes, hello, I'm George Galloway. <laughs> and it's like, wow, it's just coming out of nowhere. He's just standing like a rubbish truck. What <laughs> just is that? Walking about, like, as London Mayor, I will, you know, oh, please. George, I've just lost it as soon as you know you try to think you're sort of an experimental art house film director. Wow, yeah, wrong with you, man. How Um, the weirdest thing was that despite being out of parliament, he still had George Galloway MP. Right, okay. I kind of pointed out to him like on Twitter of George, um, you know, have have you considered updating your job status? And he was like, no, 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 you can't change it on Twitter, you can't change it on Facebook. Yeah. Did you uh, say that to him on Twitter then? I could have. I didn't need to, I felt, oh, because, okay, you know, yeah. I basically, I think I had to get my message to him by logging as someone else because he oh, really? still blocked me at that time. Okay. So, this is the thing. He's just so trigger happy with it. And look, obviously, it's not all just about my own personal beef with him because okay. obviously, you know, there's so many reasons to deplore the man and you just want him elsewhere, you know, whether it's ranging from his uh, larking around as a cat on Big Brother and that yeah. impression of Rula Lenska, you know, li- was it sipping and licking milk up from her hands? Yeah. But also all just the kind of fascination he has had with all sorts of dictators, you know, the applauding Saddam Hussein's indefatigability. And I'll okay. make sure to pronounce that word correctly. Right, wow, okay. <laughs> yeah. And sort of saying that, what was it, Bashar al-Assad is a fresh, a breath of fresh air. Um, yeah, it, it, he really is a lovely chap. Have you met him? 
Through social media, I have. Through social and media, okay. I think his people, um, you know, friends of his have contacted me about all sorts that have happened and, you know, had all sorts of stories about how, you know, he, you know, he used to be, I was told once, uh, a boxer in Dundee. He was very good at you know, this because right. he was in the Navy. He was, you know, old, old fighting George. So, obviously, I'm very careful what I'm saying because I want him charging into the studio. <laughs> so sort of yeah. give him your one-two. It's not live, so... <laughs> oh, no, it's fine. I mean, you know, he'll, he'll find out. He'll retro... Even if he doesn't know where I am on Twitter or, you know, on the social media airwaves, he'll have, he'll track this place down because <laughs> no, he basically, I swear to God, he probably has a Google search for his name or something. Oh, yes, regularly, I imagine, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I, I, yeah, I have no idea what he's doing now. Well, I think he presents a show on talk radio occasionally ah. and which he kind of brands himself as the sort of one person who's willing to be nice about Jeremy Corbyn and right. to say and he so he posted uh, and things like I, I still although I say I have no idea what he's doing now I have seen people screenshot his tweets and into my timeline so I'm aware of one or two really silly moments where like at one point when they were trying to kind of gang up on him the Labour MPs he posted this really weird tweet of uh, him standing the I think Nelson's column wearing his kind of all encompassing matrix coat again yeah. with like a cigar in his mouth chomping a skull with Corbyn next to him being like I am the only one standing next to Jeremy <laughs> oh wow. like in that photo yes you are mate. <laughs> yeah it's just in that one picture um, so this kind of paints a picture of him that he sees himself as kind of this there uh, kind of arty character when it, with his like long coat on with his cigar and he's like mm. he really paints a picture of himself in his mind I mean he's, he's just a wannabe revolutionary in that the funniest thing about the celebrity big brother thing by the way mm. which we all remember is just the cat the leotard yes. he knocked around how silly was he was do you remember why he said he was going to go on that show no because he wanted to talk about Palestine Right, okay. That was his excuse. And I think at that time, he was still an MP, and that's why it was all controversial. And he said, oh, no, 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 you know, I am there to air the plight of the Palestinian people. And, you know, what? he's someone who, you know, goes off there on all sorts of adventures and you name it. And do you remember anything he said on that show about it? No, not no. at all. <laughs> the delusion of the man. Is it the kind of thing that the producers might build up? George, have you got something uh, controversial that you could say before you go on? Oh, yeah, I'll think of something. Don't worry. I'll have something on the day. Oh, no, I'm sure. Yeah. It's, instead, I suspect that he, he just wanted all the attention. He wanted the infamy. And the fact that, like, I remember after getting in, because he was briefly an MP and then he sort of left, came back to Bethnal Green and Bow, ousted Una King. Mm. And there was this really like nasty exchange with Jeremy Paxman on the election night where, you know, Paxman was like, so, you know, how do you feel about ousting one of the few, you know, black female MPs in Parliament? And he just kept going, Jeremy are you not going to thank me for my stunning electoral victory? <laughs> you know, sort of, I like, just refused to acknowledge it. Do you thank him for his amazing electoral victory against the odds because I am George Galloway. <laughs> oh, right, okay, I see. Yeah. George Galloway. So do you, um, do you often get people messaging you with stories then, like saying, oh, I've got a story about this person? Does that happen quite often? Yeah, I mean, there's normally sort of tip-offs and all sorts that happen. I mean, the weirdest one I once had was... Um, do you remember when Nigel Farage was staying to be MP in South Thanet? Yeah. And there was a... <laughs> trying to remember the name, it's completely absurd. There was a sort of comedy candidate, I'm thinking, called the Alzebabist Fringe of Oog. Um, get the, they pretend to be sort of a cult from, like, you remember, like, sort of Scientologists? Yes. I think they were that sort of pastiche. Right. And this man would run around, you know, in sort of army gear, combat gear. I yeah. think he won, like, 46 votes at the end or something. Amazing. And he would just keep uh, sort of saying, like, uh, oh, you know, Nigel's an you know, absolute racist. To just chase him. He was like the Al Murray sort of comedy candidate, but not funny. Right, basically. okay. Yes. And so he would ring me up the whole time with bizarre tips. One was quite useful, actually. I'll give him credit. Go on, go and then on. he basically said, Ah, oh, well, we've heard that Nigel Farage um, has been trying to book a tank on election day to like ride around in. And, you know, presumably the idea being People's Army. Look, mm. there he is in a tank. The general. Ah, right, Nigel yeah. Farage. I'm Nigel Farage. Look at me. You know, <laughs> yeah. sort of thing. And uh, I was like, Oh, how do you know this? Because we've been trying to book the tank. <laughs> Oh, that's amazing. That's so good. It's been booked. And, I, and the thing is, I, I said to you in UK, okay, so what happened? They're like, well, we did think about this. <laughs> we thought it would be a bit OTT. That's amazing. No wonder. As if. That's a great tip, though. It was, it was the, the one, and the reason why they particularly knew it was a contested market is because only one tank supplier in Kent, right. really, yeah. or they claimed. Um, but then afterwards, they told me this completely absurd idea about how, like, oh, sort of Tracy Emin is supporting them and she's 
involved, don't you know, because she lives in Margate in Kent. And I looked at it, it was complete cobblers. Yeah, it, yeah. I was thinking, maybe I'll trust this lunatic. Who's yeah, all right, they just me. tried it on. Yeah. No, they were pushing their luck too far. Yeah, okay. Um, all right, interesting. Anything else on George before we put George on the island? Well, yes, absolutely. I think one of the most cringeworthy things about George Galloway, amid all that I've said, is his response to, well, just women and anything about sexual politics. Ah, in that, okay. Um, well, a friend of mine, works in a legal practice that has, you know, helped advise George Galloway before. Okay. And he, he'd often sort of ring up and as soon as he hears a female voice down the line, you know, oh, hello, dear. It's oh, George. Right, okay. yeah. And obviously this nickname is Gorgeous George because of how he had a bit of a playboy lifestyle back in the day. Mm. And, and the cringiest thing about all this is, do you remember the Julian Assange, the early days of him having all this kind of accusations yes. about his yeah. peccadilloes, his in, you know, what he's done in Sweden, you name it. Mm-hmm. Um, Galloway had a hot take on one of his podcasts. Oh. And he blamed, uh, I'm going to quote uh, Mr. Assange's, quote, bad sexual etiquette. Okay. And uh, opined that, uh, again, it is even worse. And he said, quote, not everybody needs to be asked prior to each insertion. No. Yes. No. And so I'm thinking, if you're taking, oh, no, I just, I kind of, it's unspeakable, basically. <laughs> That's unbelievable. I rest my case. Yeah, okay. Get him on that island. Yeah, okay. Thank you very much, Asa. George Galloway goes on. Uh, and who's going to be his second choice? Well, after George Galloway, that may have been like shooting fish in a barrel, mm. so I'm going to go for a bit more of an ambitious target here. Ed Miliband. Ed Miliband. Okay, Ed Miliband. Right. Well, where do I begin? I think it's just... We all remember how he was meant to be at one point, the man who was going to be Prime Minister, the polls indicated it, you mm. know, look at him, let's think seriously about Prime Minister Miliband, the Miliband government, you know, verge of power. Where is he now? Basically, he's still MP. And, you know, despite going around saying, OK, let, I, I back in my day, I want to have no MPs taking second jobs. He's got a second job running a podcast, which I, I, obviously, to its credit, fine. OK, it's won awards. He sits there pontificating about, you know, the joys of uh, universal basic incomes and policies and just being like a one-man think tank and running arena tours, which you can sort of, you know, do. Yeah, he's still meant to be an MP. And it's just bizarre, the man's priorities, because he's basically become a meme. Right, yes, okay, I see where you're going. He's sort yes. of all things to all people now, where you just think, oh, isn't he really funny? He, right. He's sort of on Twitter, he's unleashed, he retweets Donald Trump, saying, you know, uh, Donald's a bit xenophobic, and everyone's like, oh, wow, Ed Miliband, you're so witty, wow, if only you were Prime Minister. He tried, he failed. At the okay. same time, uh, like you know, when he goes on, you know, all these comedy shows, or hosts the Jeremy Vine uh, show, where he just takes calls about toilets, and it's all very funny. It's and all like, funny. But what, what are you doing? He's sort of... You're still an MP. You're meant to be there helping shape Labour debate. Arguably, this is my pet theory, arguably he is responsible for everything we're in in politics right now. Because uh, okay. if you trace that... Let's, let's take a step back through politics for a second. The EU referendum, one of the key things people argued about from the Remain campaign that left them pulling their hair out was having someone like Jeremy Corbyn there who was sort of a bit diffident, 7.5 out of 10 for the EU. Mm. Didn't really bother. Phoned it in. And... You know, so, okay, you may argue that if he had someone more energetic, more sort of centrist, more pleasing to remain campaign, then, you know, may have, things may have gone a bit differently. Okay, wind it back a step further. Um, obviously, Miliband does credit that he did try and say radical things, you know, mansion tax, you name it. He was the intellectual foreground for Corbyn. And so there's that that helped him. At the same time, his reaction to... Um, Basically, when uh, this Labour MP Eric Joyce headbutted a Tory in a bar, and his reaction was to kind of bring in all these changes because then the whole hullabaloo and the constituency of Falkirk meant that they were going to, you know, have to try and worry about the Unite Unions of tinkering with the vote. And he decided, okay, infamously, the right, if you pay three pounds, you can be a member of the Labour Party thing. Okay, right. That's infamously the Corbyn, you know, fans dived on that in a yeah. way and so basically Miliband's responsible for everything in my view <laughs> responsible for everything just you know it's a chain of events a domino chain that sort yes. of begins with how he's handled these things mm. it's a sort of sliding door scenario where you know if he'd had, if he handled that differently if let's say he'd you know campaigned ever so slightly differently we you know maybe Corbyn wouldn't be in maybe he'd still be around who knows I mean it's just basically it all this is where it all went off the rails um are you saying that Ed Miliband is responsible for Brexit? 
you could draw a very clear line. I mean, it's. Uh, I'm not saying that he is the only cause. Of course, I can be very earnest with you for a second and say there's long brewing, 40 years of discontent, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But let's put it this way: if he, you know, would still been on, if he'd still clung on in some ways, if he hadn't been, you know, everyone says, oh, he's such a genius now, he's so clever, look at him, he's so enthusiastic and genial outside of power, you know. It could have been a different story. It's fascinating to ponder. At the same time, because whenever he's asked now about things that happen in, in Corbyn's labour, he always sort of acts like a bemused outsider. Okay. Not sort of elder statesman who was head of the Labour Party. He always comes late to the kind of, duh, whenever some anti-Semitic uh, outrage is happening or some debate goes on. He sort of acts like, oh, no, don't ask me. I'm just a podcaster. You know, sort of thing. It's like, right. come on, you, you respect your position in that way. You yes. know, you've been somewhere. You, you sort of, and like, this is the thing. Obviously, I would, you know, if you became leader of the Labour Party, you know, so I congratulate you. you I'd know, be very surprised, but of yeah. course, this <laughs> yeah. is like, you'd at least know your position. So you'd appreciate that. I think it, maybe I'm just jealous of how he can. No, run no, a, go on, go on. You were making a point. And how he can be an MP and a podcaster at the same time, or right, something. He's okay. a man of many talents. Maybe I am, but it's a, it just seems presumptuous. And the fact that he just seems to get off scot free from all this and just act sort of bemused and say, you know, tune into my next arena tour and you know, make sure to follow me next time. It's like, well, you know, everyone piles so much blame on David Cameron, George Osborne, the Tory side. But what about the Labour lot? You know, mm. Scott Free. You know, Ed Balls dancing on Strictly and he's just doing documentaries. Ed Miliband, you know, similar thing practically. Okay. I did not realise I'm so furious about Ed Miliband. <laughs> did you not? But I think it's also just, it just particularly irks me how like he's managed to change himself then from the sort of gawky, sort of po-faced politician to, oh, cuddly Ed Miliband, look at him, you know, sort of appearing. And there's this lovely charity sketch that was done uh, by The Last Leg in which he kind of interrupts a load of bickering news anchors. We'd be like, guys, 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 how about we all share a lovely sandwich? And you're thinking, really? Just a comedy act now. <laughs> okay, like, yeah. Um, I'll tell you something interesting about yeah. Ed Miliband um, and his podcast. I get mentioned in every episode of that podcast. You deserve that. You deserve it. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, um, what it is, is I used to work with Jeff, who does that podcast, mm. and he asked me to make the production, so like the idents and stuff. Mm. Um, and I've never met Ed Miliband. Mm. And interestingly, because what you said about the last leg, is at Christmas, Ed Miliband, I got a Christmas card from Ed Miliband that said, thanks for working on the front of the Christmas card was a picture of Ed Miliband on the motorbike, hold, on a motorbike uh, in a leather jacket yeah. holding a bacon sandwich. Yeah, yeah. No, that's the thing. He, he's owned it. Fine, I give him credit. And obviously, clearly it's a sign of your magic touch that his podcast has <laughs> no, it's nothing, with, it's nothing to do with me. It's but, nothing to do with me. You know, I, I'd beg to differ. But, <laughs> yeah. but even then, it's just having listened to it, you know, when Apple does. Yeah. Um, I think just it, the bottom line for me, is just that he seems to have just abandoned everything he's done of the last few years. Right, it's almost yes. like he's rewriting his own history. That you know, oh, don't mind me. I'm just a, I'm just a philosopher now. Right. <laughs> I just, okay. Yes. I just like to think big thoughts. So, you know. do you think? Um, do you think that it's out of? So, is it? Is it, is it being naive here? Is it out of character for uh, an MP to do? something like that to do a podcast do they do, do, is there any other cases that you can think of, of similar? Well I think it's, it's perfectly rational there's reasonable allowances for it but the thing is is that Miliband used to be really earnest as Labour leader saying that MPs shouldn't take second jobs mm, okay. and he's literally breaking his own word okay I mean it's, it's, so it's one of those many things where if you compare Labour leader Ed Miliband man who could be Prime Minister Ed Miliband to just this guy hello I'm Doncaster North MP Ed Miliband you know it's just so, <laughs> you do so quite different. a good imp- impression actually <laughs> it, it's oh, thank you, thank you. It, it's always an inverse proportion for when I don't do it on demand I seem to do it really well <laughs> when we feel like right so can you try and do Ed Miliband oh well guys you know <laughs> that was a, good it was a Tony Blair for some reason anyway no that was the, oh yeah it was kind of leaning on the Blair actually yeah, yeah. too much in my view but hey you know <laughs> That's in some ways why people wanted to have him as Labour leader because he wasn't Blair. Okay, he was yeah. more New Labour. A break from that. Okay, um, Ed Miliband. Anything else on Ed, Mil- Ed Miliband? I think I've entered my spleen enough on him. <laughs> yeah, he's on the island. Um, okay, and who's going to be your third choice? Well, this is, this is a decisive break from politics. Interesting. Okay, Paul Hollywood. Paul Hollywood. I know. I mean, first off, I did tr- I did double check this, and Paul Hollywood is his real name. And I thought, it, come on, a name like Hollywood, you must think it's fake. It's like that Homer Simpson when he called himself Max Power. Yes, you know, yeah. Too good to be true. But no, that's really his name. I think it's just, there's nothing I can approve of with that man. 
No, okay. It, it's a, it's, it all began, I suppose, you know, as everyone will hopefully agree with me on, when he betrayed Mary Berry yes. and Melon Sue by, you know, taking the dough, as it were, running off to a new production company for Channel 4, you know, not deciding to spin off the original gang, let a new generation come through. Instead, you know, Paul saw the pound signs uh, and, you know, saw where his money would be made. Okay, right, a business decision, fine. And there's also just that, that thing where, look, we're all taking the mick out of Sean Walsh and Catcher Jones for having a bit of a snog. Oh, my God, there's an awful, you know, um, affair, you name it. They're, they're all the headlines that go with that on Strictly. But then, you know, he, he had his own thing, which he completely gets forgiven for, it seems, and it all passes over of when he went off to America and yes. getting, shall we say, too close to an American female judge on that show, a sort of like America's baking contest equivalent. Interesting. And uh, then he did all kind of, oh, I'm so sorry, oh, I'm, I'm okay now, my personal life is fine, and, uh, you know, just being a silly, silly man. And then suddenly he's now, seems to be off with uh, someone who's 30 years younger than him. Interesting. And okay. S- and now he's, you know, separated. Obviously, you know, I think it's just the standards he's setting amid all this. And at the same time, you know, okay, personal life notwithstanding, you know, running, it seems, an absolutely... <sighs> it's like the sort of cash cow process he's now got mm. as a cookery expert. It's almost like with Jamie Oliver, but Jamie Oliver's too easy to slag off. So this is why I'm focusing on Hollywood. Okay. Where it's part of the business. He has cranks out the books every year, a new documentary on things. I think I was double checking before coming in. And he has about seven books out with just his name on them, cookbooks. They're sort of poor Hollywood's breads, poor Hollywood's puds, poor Hollywood's, you know, 100 best breads. Breads, incidentally, as we know, are a specialism of his. Yes. Because he made the most expensive bread in Britain. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. 15 pounds a kilo. Who buys bread that expensive? Is that how much it was? 15 yes. pounds a kilo. Oh, that's expensive bread. I mean, it's sort of, even Harrods probably would turn their nose up about how expensive <laughs> yeah. that is. But, yeah. you know, this is part of the, apparently, the Hollywood taste for you there. Right. And so I think it's just, I mean, the books thing just get, really like, hacks me off. In some ways, I know, because obviously, if you're a celebrity, you have to turn yourself into a, you know, money making machine. But it just makes it feel there's so much less soul in it. Because mm. obviously, you think, okay, particularly for cooking, maybe I've only got one, two books, you know, classic Delia Smith, you know, a Bible of many kitchens. And you think, okay, once you've done that, once you've said, okay, here are the best puds, you know, here's some more good puds. Yes, yeah. okay. And even more. It's yeah, yeah. Hooks you in. Really oh, annoying. okay. Paul Hollywood has come up on this before, but it was for a very personal reason. And uh, a, a comedian I had on recently called Matt Adlington, he said that he was in Australia and uh, he was crossing the road and this Bentley sped up as he was crossing the road and he had to sort of scarper across the road and look back and then the uh, the person he was with nudged him and said, oh, that was Paul Hollywood in that car. And he was like, he almost just run me over. <laughs> Well, there we go. That's uh, all you need to know about the man. I know. <laughs> like, yeah. it, it, that's classically, yeah, that's how he is. And the same thing, like, I know what he's praised for is that sort of everyday bloke, you know, mm. not too fancy. Yes. And, you know, people uh, lionise on the British Bake Off how he has something called the Hollywood handshake. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> what? And that's <laughs> just sort of evolved over time, isn't it? It's just I, like think, a... I think it's just people clearly taking the piss out of the man having a basic sense of etiquette and manners. You know, okay. like, here you go with the big hammy mitt. You're just like, well done. <laughs> Oh, and that's a nice topping, and he just comes and sort of judges you, peers his you know, big meat face over your shoulder while you're cooking into the pontificates. I don't, basically, I just can't bear the man. Yeah, just, he's just like judging your pile of sort of flour and water and butter mixed together yeah. for episodes and episodes. And just on. Say, oh, it's the easiest job ever as well, like, yeah. just being the bake-off judge. You know, because in some ways... Just be able to sort of stick your finger in the cake and go, oh, well, you need to work on that a bit. Like, we don't know. We can't taste the same <laughs> know, cake. Just go, oh, well, that sounds like a really good job. Well, mm. you'd know. And uh, saying that they have to do it because they respect him and because they want a poor Hollywood handshake. That's it. And nowadays, I know people go on to have careers after the Bake Off. If you've been on the Bake Off, you can go on to have a career hmm. of some description. But anyone that's been on telly for any reason nowadays seems to be able to make a career out of it, right? Oh, of course. It's just, you know, any of these shows, you can do something afterwards, get an agent, and that's it. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, like, I'm sure some of it is just a matter of getting yourself as far away from Paul Hollywood as possible. That's <laughs> yeah. only my strategy, given yeah. that it seems that, you know, they, many of them are at least 
Bake Off, unlike other reality shows, at least has people who genuinely have a passion for it and just want to bake. And Mm. so obviously some of them aren't, you know, on the panel shows, turning into sort of pundits and having their own talk shows. You know, they just open their own quiet bakery shop and there we go. That's it. Oh, yeah, I'm going to get some bread from me. It's not like an apprentice where you just have to live on Lord Sugar's coattails, you know, permanently working with him, you know, shackles by the leg to him for life. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so Paul Hollywood goes on the island. And the thing is, I was thinking of someone else who could really well join him, or instead of him, but I, why not with him as well? Okay, that, a sneaky extra. Okay, let's, let's do it. Smuggle them on the boat, why not? Yeah, okay. uh, David Walliams. David Walliams. Okay. I mean, the man, that, uh, there's a one thing I would share, you know, in the sort of, uh, the shotgun blast of criticism I'm using here that could hit them both in a sense. Mm-hmm. Of just how commoditized they are. How, right, how much okay. they've turned themselves into these kind of McDonald's Global Corporation Limited style enterprises that have to churn out books so much. Obviously, his thing is children's books. Yes. And that, you know, by nature of all the lols he did on Little Britain and by just of a goodwill in a sense, it seems that, you know, he could put his name to every children's book practically every year and it flies off the shelves. Mm. You know, being bought by grandmothers, relatives, and all sorts in goodwill for their little ones. And at the same time, the I guess the effect, in my view, of that is it just means it makes the market less welcoming for newcomers. Yes. If it's just well, unless it's David Williams, okay, yeah, you know, it's a non-starter. It. Uh. So it's the kind of effect you have. Just, I mean, I've, I have no proof, and I'm not going to suggest at all that he doesn't write them or anything. It's more just that he'd at least have his name on them. Yes. Um, and so by dint of like the Williams brand, it feels like unless you are a celebrity, unless you made your name elsewhere, you can't make your name there. Yes. The same okay. way with Hollywood. You know, of course, there's no emerging culinary writers who just, you know, from the grass roots by no. word of mouth yes. write their own books no it says yeah it's Hollywood with the big name on all the shelves and then it's in everyone's Christmas list or, or underneath every tree exactly escape Hollywood or Williams okay it's sort of, they're the sort of Gemma Collins of their industries in that sense interesting Just a lot of PR but you know there we go but what have they got going for them because at the same time I, the other extra note with Williams but this is maybe for another episode practically oh. it's just you know the way everyone adores him but they all forget about Matt Lucas yes who you know I think was very much pulled his way very much half, if not more, of the comedic talent on Little mm, Britain. Absolutely, yeah. So now everyone's like, oh, no, no, David Williams gets to all the fun, you know, sort of just like pretend snogging Simon Cowell on the I know, it's, uh, it's tedious, isn't it? Yeah. It is tedious. Matt Lucas, you know, he was, uh, he was the baby on um, Shooting Stars. He was there first, right, in, uh, as far as I'm aware. And oh, yeah. um, maybe, he, maybe he wants to live a slightly more quiet life. I, I think it's maybe a bit of that, but also perhaps, and this might be getting a bit sort of too woke to say it, but because Dave Williams is, you know, a sort of tall, photogenic, ah, conventional okay, sort of looking man, okay. it's much easier to imagine him just on things, right. you know, whereas uh, Matt, Lucas. Matt Lucas, of course... Bold. Looks different. He plays way. the uh, the twins in Alice in Wonderland, for example. There right, we are. the two egg twins. So, there you so go. it's less adaptable. And the thing is, yeah. Williams actually that reminds me actually of um, something else he's done. It just shows how soulless and effortless some of his work is. Because I remember they've re- they've revived uh, a show recently. I think from the eighties, like one of those like, clip shows of you know in a spirit of kind of you've been framed yes. or um, in which he's on it now as like the the sort of MC, but. He's too lazy to turn up in the studio. So it's just like a it's a sort of CGI cartoon version of him commenting, popped up on the screen, just saying, God, that was a funny clip. It's, a, it's one of those shows that was like when things go wrong. Right, on okay, TV. right, right. And but he's just recorded it. Maybe someone's gone to his house to record because he couldn't be bothered to leave his yeah, house. And they just do a CG. He's probably just in his pyjamas. This thing is so busy, we'll crank out more children's books at the same time. He's just phoning it in. <laughs> Ridiculous. So I just, I just knew about okay. it. When I read that, I, just, I thought, oh, it's too much Williams. A Bonus Walliams. Okay, all right. We'll sneak Walliams. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> In the cargo hold. Um, okay, Asa, thank you very much. Pleasure. Now, mercifully, among the wreckage of the plane, there was some food and drink left over. Unfortunately for you, it's your least favourite food and drink in the world. What are they and why are they so bad? Food? Food. I'd say wasabi. Wasabi? Wasabi crackers. You know, the biscuits, wasabi. the little things you get. Okay. Only because it... They taste horrendous. <laughs> yeah. It tastes of like sewage warmed up, basically. <laughs> sort of, and yet, but that sort of kick at the end is like you know curry gone wrong. It's wrong. And the thing that annoys me most about them is how, because of many many bars, mm. obviously are trying to be a bit classy these days. Mm. You know, gastro pubs, they mm. they give you this sort of cocktail mix 
of, you know, little lovely sort of sticks of all sorts, prawn cocktail, you name it. And there's always the wasabi okay. somewhere there. <laughs> it's sort of like a Russian roulette. You know, you pick it absentmindedly, thinking, oh, great, it's, you know, a popcorn. A little snack, it's yeah. Like, oh, wasabi flavour, <laughs> no! And so just for how much of a spoil sport it is to encounter it, it's, you know, it, it is the blue M&M. It's sort of something that you right. don't want. It's like, what is it doing there? The, right, the ugly okay. swan. Ah, oh, just... But you hate it. Just ruining so many mixes. Okay. I, I think it just needs to be taken away. Obviously, I'm sure it's great for, you know, cafes, cinemas, you name it, to seem very cultured, learned and international, mm. having wasabi. But I think that in this country, I believe, wasabi isn't actually wasabi. Like, if you were to, have you been to Japan? Not yet. No, no, neither have I. But I believe in Japan, wasabi tastes different. It, it's, it's much nicer because here they use horseradish dyed green. That makes some sense then, because I know they always say with, you know, chicken tikka masala, etc., that that was a curry adapted for our taste. Yes, for sure. Even then, then, well, I'd like to try traditional, proper wasabi yeah, then. Yeah, yeah. Because it's just done wrong. I mean, yes. maybe it's just I, I have an absolute uh, animus against horseradish. <laughs> I'm learning something now. How are you with mustard? Oh, God, no. No, oh, no okay. No. It's a ketchup man those every peppery, time. Those peppery flavours that get right up in your nose, that sort of does. I'm just thinking, I can deal with spice. I'm not, okay. you know, I you enjoy like curry, spice. Yeah. But it's just, wasabi does it wrong. It's it, got this bitter tang. Yes. It, I don't, it's okay. so unpleasant as a result. Okay. It ruins snacks on your pub nights out rather than gains and adds to it. Okay, wasabi. So, uh... Are not ideal for you if the cargo hold is full of wasabi snacks. And what's going to be it a drink be to us? Torture it, <laughs> it would be torture with wasabi. I can admit that that would be brutal for I the mean, rest of your life. I can imagine Paul Hollywood would bake them into a nice bread or something at least. Yes, okay. And this is the thing. I mean, when I pick Hollywood, by the way, in some ways, besides everything I've said and pouring bile on him and all that, it's a cynical purpose. At least he can make basic sustenance. We can hope there's sort of grain on the island, maybe. maybe. yeah. Well, it's a pretty desert, pretty arid, so, I mean, he's going to probably... You can get so from um, boiling down the water oh, and then use yes. the purified water to make some kind of dough. He could make, I don't know, I'm just thinking here. I mean, he could at least try and use some nice slop and pretend it's good bread. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, sort of, you know, bug pie. Well, the longer you spend on the island, the less you'll remember what bread tastes like. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Very good point. It could give you anything. Um, okay, so uh, wasabi's going to be your food choice and what's going to be your drink? This is going to win me so many fans. Beer. Beer. Yeah. Beer. I mean, I can, I perfectly can drink beer. Right. It doesn't ruin the evenings out for me like wasabi might. Mm. It's just it's the least efficient drink. Right. Okay. It's you know you've got all the sort of heaviness, all the kind of you know it fills you up. Oh my god! You know everything is wrong as a result because the calorie counts through the roof. If you just have you know one too many pints, etc. As a result, well, just drink wine. It's much more effective. It's much quicker. Do you like wine? <laughs> I mean, maybe more of a wine or spirits person. <laughs> okay, saying. Yeah. I think it's also just as a subdivision, and this is where I'm just going to double down on this. I'm afraid mm. it's just the beer sort of community, the fetishized. Wow, I can't even pronounce fetishization better. <laughs> um, you know, the beer community. So they really are quite something in that uh, the way this you know, the, the adoration of like craft beer mm. and the snobbery that happens of like mm. oh that's a very heavy ale you've got there you know <laughs> what's wrong with that uh, wow uh, on one level I think I just say only two points as well with this is you never have wine belly you always have beer belly. Yes, it's of, true, yeah. And so the effects clearly is something wrong with the, you know that sort of nature of the drink mm. and I think obviously I'm going to obsess about curry again, but I mean, I can, I can still drink it with you know, curry, but I can have soft drinks just as much, just because it's cold. It's just it's often so flavourless. Yes, okay, yeah. I, I do know what you mean. Yeah, with like a, some lagers, you mm. just think, what even is this? You yeah. know, it's just cold. That's all it's got for going for it. And the fact that some people um, bring out these alcohol-free beers, I don't get the point. No, neither do I. Like, why even bother? You just just drink water, for God's yeah. sake. Yeah, uh, uh, drink water. And if you want something with flavour, just enjoy, like, a uh, treat yourself to a nice full fat coke or something exactly know? exactly yeah. and the thing is on a i have to say the the reputation for beer has taken a bit of a knock recently given uh, brett kavanagh um yes okay. during the supreme court hearings when obviously you know with advocates like him uh you know weeping in front of the great and good of america and say i like beer <laughs> i drink beer i like beer <laughs> so i just thought at that point I was like wow what people this the hope obviously i'm not saying all beer drinkers are like him yeah, that, that's a no, dangerous statement I, I, I must make adamantly clear so first of all, your legal team don't need to worry enough heart attacks it's more just that 
I think it's this. You know, there's a certain reputation that certain fans have. There we go. And the honest of health benefits, you know, it's, it seems to be coming out bottom on the league table in that way. And just in pure flavour terms. You know, I just choose other things. Okay. You know, but it's, it's just, therefore, I think it's this. If I was to be having only beer on the desert island as a result, obviously I know it was the replacement in the Middle Ages for water because it was clean to drink, etc. And that's great, you know, fine. I'd subsist on beer and be permanently mildly sozzled. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. But I wouldn't... You know, just always, it wouldn't be particularly fun. I wouldn't be going, wow, that's delicious every time. Right, okay, yeah. It sounds like a cheap holiday in Malaga or something, yeah. if that's the situation. It's a sort of Switzerland of beer, of drinks. It's just very neutral, very flat for okay. me, in a sense. You know, at least just like more fun. Yeah, all right. So beer, beer's going to be a uh, drink choice. Um, <laughs> I struggle, I love it. But I do know I what you mean. Because I'm carrying this I'm carrying this spare tire when yeah. I sit down. And it's all beer. I know if I stop drinking beer today, that would go this immediately. And uh, obviously look, I must be clear, I'm not saying then you know, I deplore all beer fans and beer drinkers. You oh, know, I, love as beer. One. I love beer personally, obviously. Yeah. But that's the thing. I mean I I I perfectly drink beer, but it's more just I it, I feel like it's that moment where you almost feel that you have to order beer. For sure. Just to fit in. Oh, yeah. It's too yeah. much. But you shouldn't and feel that pressure. You could drink what you like. No, you know? indeed. Yeah, but it's just everyone's like, round of beers, lads. And like, yeah, why oh, not? Yeah, I perfectly can. Yeah, but okay. not going to go, tell you what, I'm going to write this up as a review. This is great. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. really hoppy. <laughs> oh, it's really nice. <laughs> yeah. you know? It's like, that's why when yeah. you know, watch The Simpsons, you know, they, like, what does Homer drink as a kind of unthinkingly beer? Yeah. Just stuff. Because it'll do. That fits, yeah. It's never sort of much of a, like, you know, assessment on another sort of culinary assessment. It's just yeah, something to drink. It's, it's something to do. Yeah. yeah, it lasts a while. It occupies the, yeah. the taste buds. It yeah. tickles your fancy. <laughs> what you know? What's your poison there? Beer, just fun. a beer. Yeah, have a beer. Okay, lovely. So drink choice is going to be beer. Fortunately for you, you won't be without entertainment on the island. The plane's entertainment system continues to work, but just your luck, it only has two working settings. One is your least favorite film of all time, and the other is your least favorite song. What are they, and why? Song? Mm, song first, okay. You're beautiful, James Blunt. You're beautiful. You're beautiful. You're beautiful, it's true. Okay, that is a solid choice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're beautiful by James Blunt. Um, dare I ask why? <laughs> Go for it. Well, I think it... <laughs> It's a tip of a really big iceberg, in my view, on songs that are meant to be romance mm. songs. Mm. In that everyone, it plays everywhere. You know, there was a period where you could not escape the thing. On no. TV, shops, you name it. Mm. You know, you're beautiful, he would croon. And people just think about that. That's very nice. It's sweet, isn't it? But then when you study the lyrics, you know, and James Blunt has not concealed this fact... It's not the sweet, heartwarming tale of love as, you know, found by someone who observes a girl. It's a sort of creepy, sinister, uh, you know, attraction of someone has, possibly who's high. Well, I think he is. No, he says, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. And who's intoxicated, who knows that he's never going to get her, but damn, he likes the look oh, of her. Okay. you beautiful. Yeah. You know, I'm doing a sinister, creepy voice because that's clearly how he should be singing this. Not sort of jolly, sweet saccharine James. And the thing is... <laughs> Look, this is what annoys me about like why it's attributed as like oh it's a love classic. People dance to it at weddings. Yes, because it's wrong. It's sort of like that police. I'll be watching you every breath you take. You yeah, know, that's weird, isn't it? At least choose a romance song if you're going to have one that genuinely is you know unadulterated joy about it. Like this is why I'd say if you you know ask me, I'd be sort of choosing sort of Barry White for example. He's uh, you know un. To sung for that because he just sings about love and he just you know obviously the walrus of love yeah he is my god he's just sincere and yeah. emphatic and relentless and obviously you know raunchy and filthy etc yeah. you name it but mm. you know what you're getting mm, okay. whereas with James it's this sort of uh, this I, I get that with romantic songs and you know, creativity that comes back to even ancient love poetry etc it's all about suffering mm, absolutely and woe yes but like it, it, it just feels too much of this kind of My Chemical Romance emo influence. Right, yes. In love. It's not just a celebration of love for the sake of it. Okay. And so that's the thing. It's more just because I feel we could choose so much better okay. with our romantic songs. Um, and obviously just, yeah, like James... I think the li lyrics... Um, 
I looked at you on the subway, you were with another man. Yes. And it's like he's just looking at some some man is out with his girlfriend and, and James Blunt's there stoned on a subway staring at this guy's girlfriend. I Imagine. Know. It's I creepy. Mean, it feels sort of like Sean Walsh would sing it, but you know, so, <laughs> it, this is the thing, clearly, in that it's just not right. And then the fact that, I mean... <sighs> Everyone likes to slag off Robin Thicke's blurred lines. Yes. For the kind of, oh, what is it? It's really a bit dodgy, a bit, you know, uh, disrespectful of boundaries and all that. Same thing, again. But then James Bond gets off scot-free. Ah, interesting. You're I'm right. not saying yes. the same tones, but obviously no. it's that people celebrate it with the same relish, or we used to at least. Mm. Um, you know, it goes into the romance top hits. But they don't realise the meaning. They don't appreciate that. And it's yes. obviously those, the songs that, you know, the artists who just will, you know, be more sincere and you can actually enjoy the meaning of it without going, oh, what am I actually singing? Yes. It's, it's sort of like, it cuts to, it, this iceberg is huge in my view in music because it's like um, Spice Girls 2 Becomes 1. Right, okay. Which uh, I take it you are a Spice Girls aficionado then. Because no, well, I just, I'm just trying to think of the lyrics as you... Don't as, worry, I'm going to unpack oh, this you're going to film it. I'm going to unpack okay. this Because, um, you know, I'm sure many of you, my listeners, will remember it and may have sung it in their youth. But when the lyrics are, Tonight, baby, tonight, two becomes one. I need some love with the human touch, you know. Right, sort of, okay. You know, come on, I think the, like, the key line, come on, come on, put it on, baby. Yeah. Okay. Right. It's about obviously. <laughs> no, let's yeah. put it this way. I know this is a family-friendly uh, podcast. <laughs> um, opening, you know, prophylactics for <laughs> okay. you know, use in such ma- massive enjoyment and wow, all that. It's okay. enough to you know make the Mary Whitehouses uh, you know faint if right. they realise the yes. this. Okay. And yet you know again people seeing it just thinking oh this is all very jaunty and fun. It's all about you know sort of it, it, it gets um, rather more than your bargain for. Interesting. Let's put it that way. Okay. But no, sorry, I sound incredibly prudish, like highlighting no, that. But no, no. I... It's just the kind of sting in the tail. Mm. Some of these, these songs, you know, that are just kind of, oh, okay, I'm going to sing James Blunt. And this is where, like, he sticks my mind most because it's the one that, like, people go, oh, he's genius. He's so clever on Twitter. He's like Ed Miliband, you know, slagging right, everyone okay. off. You name it. Yes. So witty. And, you know, uh, at the same time, he knows. He's laughing at everyone who enjoys his songs. Obviously, he's made bajillions out of them. Oh, um, loads of money he would have made out of that song. And that's the grossest naivety of it all, that we all go, oh, isn't it wonderful? He's such a romantic, you know, crooner. No. No. No, he's just having us all for a laugh. It's very creepy. Yeah, you're very right. Very troll. Yes, he is. Mm, well done. I think it's respect for his creative endeavour. Tro- trolling long before Twitter. There we go. Wow, interesting. Asa. Um it is also interesting that you pick up on this iceberg because I think um, lyrical content in songs definitely isn't considered enough. And it's like, sometimes you hear a song and you think, how are they getting away with this? And it's mm. like, or it's like songs for children or songs that are, are aimed at sort of a, a, a young teenage market that are quite clearly about sex. And you're yeah. just thinking... Mm, interesting. I mean, I mean, that's a whole, that's a whole different creative tension, of course. Right. Yeah. Smuggling not so smart, and what exactly, like innuendos. Innuend- yeah. But I think it's the thing that's more sticks in my craw, which is why I'm more highlighting in focusing on Blunt here, mm. is just that he manages. It's not maybe him putting in extra smart. Oh, isn't that a bit naughty? Oh, cheeky, James. It's just that it's wrapped up in this friendly, like, oh, it's just sweet, it's tender, it's lovely, it's caring. No. No, No, it's not. (laughs) You could, let's put it this way, you could take the lyrics and, I don't know, you could have them being done by some, like, psychopath in a horror film, Mm. you know, sort of being said by him. You could put them in that Mm. person's mouth, Mm. rewrite the script, adapt it, do a trailer of, you know, know, someone crooning, you're beautiful, while sort of stalking someone on a subway. Again, same scene, same lyrics. Yes, yes, okay. Just done differently without James's lyrical voice. Okay, amazing. All right, thank you very much. You're beautiful by James Bump for reasons that I would never have guessed. I thought uh, I'd surprise. Yeah, no, it was good. And um, what's going to be film? Film choice. Now... My film choice mm. is somewhat controversial, potentially. It's just Harry Potter. Harry Potter? Yeah. No. Any Harry Potter or the... The saga. The, the saga. Harry Potter saga. In that I've watched Harry Potters. Oh, I've right. been, you know, in the sense of I've been in the room and when they've been on and I've had to, you know, watch and take them in. I just don't get it. 
I just, just lot, obviously, magical wonder, etc. But it's been done before. I mean, it, mm. Obviously, Grey, you know, done this whole world of, you know, interesting stories. I mean, look, let's put it this way. I, we all sort of bend over backwards and delight and squeal every time there's Harry Potter out, the cues that would summon of all sorts. I mean, I went to school, um, what was that, primary school with Emma Watson. And oh wow! Okay, I remember what happened. With, you know when she got cast, right, in Harry Potter, and it was this thing where, you know, average Emma Watson. Here we go. You know, just part of the school. You know, as happy as anyone. And then suddenly, all these arrangements will be put in place. Of like, okay, you know, so there'll always be a seat on the bus, and you go on field trips just in case Emma wants to say she wants to come to, you know, across to Normandy at the last minute. It will always just be just in case Emma was on a busy filming schedule wanted to come along, you know. Oh. And so all the special arrangements we done, and how uh, you know, with was. She was gone, spirited off into a world of you know global stardom at that point. Yes, but it's just at this point, uh, it's not just a matter of beef of oh no, no Emma yeah, no, cast it's and not no, me. No, it's you know, very interesting. It's, yeah, at the same time, when you think of what the story is, you know, boy wizards and all that. Mm. I mean, I remember once when I, well, I remember when I was younger reading about you know Merlin Junior. Sort mm. of things. Mm. You know, just that. I mean, it's been done. It's not that uh, groundbreaking, and you obviously like. Fine, I'll take my hat off to J.K. Rowling. She's created a big universe, the Potterverse, mm. but then it. Some of the fans are a bit, you know, a bit much with it, given okay, that yes. the way they sort of paroxysms of shock and or horror when she announces that you know, let's say uh, Dumbledore is gay. Right? Say that, okay. you know, go, yes. No, I had my own conception of Dumbledore. How could you? And, yes. You know, yes. Arguments, the fights, are just oh, jeez. It's, it's the cult. It. It's like there's, there's this cult of um, Harry, Harry Potter. You often see people with like a Harry Potter tattoo, like yes. a little sneaky, like the triangle with the circle and the like. That's the Harry Potter thing, isn't it? Yes, no, completely. Yeah, yeah. and and uh, you're like, oh right, okay, you must really like Harry Potter. And it sort of creeps in when they sort of say, ah, oh, you know, this is the, um, at one point I remember being on uh, BBC News with someone uh, you know, talking about Brexit, you know, mm. bread and butter sort of stuff for me, of course. And then someone was like, ah, oh, well, the manifesto is Theresa May's Horcrux. <laughs> it's like, I don't know what I say to that. <laughs> is, is that an insult? What have you said? You know? And obviously I'm like, and I looked up because obviously I feel I'm going to be a stickler for these things. Mm. And it was, you know, obviously it's that thing where like if it's smashed, Voldemort dies and all right, that. Right, okay. Um, and, and even it didn't work. Just wow. people dropping Harry Potter references in. You can't just do that just on like, BBC Oh, I'm being really witty and clever. It's like, no. <laughs> just, you know, just be down with the kids or something. Can <laughs> you have to jazz up Brexit coverage somehow? But, yeah, you know, just yeah. saying, yeah, that... Alan Rickman <laughs> in the Brussels. No, it doesn't no, make sense. Doesn't. So it's just the influence it's had. I'd say, obviously, great. I mean, I'll take my hat off to the, you know, children reading. It's wonderful mm, thing. It's great. great to encourage them. Yes. Um, you know, but it's just way overrated. Okay. Wow. So no, no, um, you have no ambition to go to Harry Potter World in... Oh, my God. <laughs> like, uh, please don't... If, let's put it this way. If Harry Potter World was suddenly opened a branch on that desert island, I think I'd just be done. Like, I'd just say, oh no, please. It's the end. Paul Hollywood, bake me into one of your pies or something. You know, just get me yeah. away. Okay. But if that's my only entertainment on that world, you know, just Harry Potter books, I'd just be, uh, I don't know, I'd just grow the beard game like over. Hagrid. Yeah. It'd be game over for me, man. Thank you very much, Asa. Harry Potter is going to be a film choice, maybe somewhat com- controversially. And finally, the island is overrun by the biggest dick of all the animals. Which animal is it and why? The honey badger. The honey badger. Without a doubt. I just wouldn't... I mean, it is celebrated as the biggest dick of all the animals. Yes. And, you know, and it's particularly attributed by the Trump fans. And that they obviously go... There's a famous viral video of, Honey Badger don't give a shit. You know, Honey Badger don't care. In which there's this very funny high-pitched voice. Like, well, Honey Badger, this, like, snarling... um, mini sort of bigger than a dog and it's yeah. just a ferocious little beast mm. like lo- lounges around and you know, rolls around the place in this I think in Africa uh, being fierce and ferocious raiding beehives you know wanting its honey picking fights with anything that lives and you know it's like honey badger don't give a shit honey badger don't care and like because of that attitude because um, let me just cut into why he thus is the, the sort of symbol of the Trump movement because basically it's invulnerable you can't kill it. it. In South Africa, I think it's called a ratel. And so that's also named for tanks they use there. Really? Because um, like, there's footage you can find of it taking on lions 
like two lions versus a honey badger, you know, and it looks a bit badgerish actually. I'll just give it that, mm. but it is not honey sweet. And uh, you know, no. it snarls back. It takes these things on, and the lions like leave it. They just go, oh, whoa, whoa, that's not worth it, mate. You know, they they decide. Yeah, and the thing also because the badgers is coming psycho that goes after the lioness's little child, a little mini lion, and you're thinking, no, what are you doing? <laughs> the lions still uh, yeah. go for it. It's insane. And this is obviously why, why the Trump movement embrace it because it basically as the famous video goes doesn't give a shit and mm. so that's why they say trump is the king honey badger and uh, right. you know so basically it's... how infamous this animal has become uh in that like uh, let, let me just rant a bit more it's honey badger my god is it, there are reports anecdotally i i don't want to try to look for if there actually it has happened i don't want to see the images of it castrating animals really like gazelles antelopes things twice as big as it it's killed just by literally like for some reason, it's worked out how to go for the, the animal's genitals. genitals. <laughs> no, <laughs> just really? leave, it to, leave it to bleed to death. It's horrible. What just, an evil animal! I know, and so that's kind of. I, I, I it just leaves me speechless thinking about it because obviously it's ridiculous, and that you know when you see these videos, it goes in all sorts of things that on camera, um, it will pick a fight with anything, and it, it can't. You okay? Apparently. It can resist stab wounds. It can be resist being shot. What? It can be poisoned, and it can it shrugs off poison after a few hours. All it does is immobilize the thing. It doesn't kill it. It just makes it sort of go to sleep for a few hours if it's been poisoned by a snake, and then it but you know, it wakes up, chases after the snake, and rips the snake in two. <laughs> oh my god! And even if there's poison in the snake, it's still just chewing happily on the body, like yeah, whatever, it's fine. I'm in midnight. It's just now. like yeah, thanks for the rest. Terminator. Horrible. I just don't want it on the island. I mean, just get it on the island, but away from me, Hollywood can be in between is the buffer zone you know Miliband can be a podcast about how to get rid of honey badgers <laughs> yeah. just not on my face um, I didn't know so much about the honey badger you do now but I do but now I like it's, it's such a like no pun intended but it's such a sweet sounding name isn't it just the honey badger it sounds like a lovely a sick joke <laughs> just, <laughs> is that why yeah. I, I think it's that I, want, I do not know who you know name this thing yeah. but certainly it seems to be so twisted now in that it, it literally is widely celebrated as the most fearsome deadly demented animal possible and I think I saw footage of this very brave BBC film crew who were trying to um, study honey badgers mm. and obviously look it is clever and uh, they tried to put it in a, an enclosure, build up some walls as big as the studio, and somehow it, a- it was able to work out how to like use branches and to climb up them to then jump out to escape. And, you know, it was working this thing out. It tried to work out how to climb. Okay, so unlike a Dalek, it can go upwards. Yeah. <laughs> and at the same yeah. time, you know... And then this BBC crew later had them in a cage, I think, and they were lifting the cage up. And the cameraman such, uh, you know, a clear death wish, this man, um, you know, waiting near the box. <laughs> and the imagine just sort of comes out. <laughs> and the man's just running backwards. Oh, like, oh my God. What did you expect? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Honey badger. Yeah. A honey badger. Wow. And what an insight. I'm uh, almost definitely going to go back to my desk and uh, Google honey badger and start watching some videos. Please do. Honey badger versus lion. Then you'll understand why I never want to be near one ever (laughs) in my life. (laughs) Honey badger doesn't give a shit. That's it. It could take, basically, name anything terrifying and it will have tried to fight it and there's probably footage on the internet of it. You know, cougars, lions, just, it, it is the, it may not be the king of the jungle, but it damn well thinks it is. Okay. Interesting. The honey badger. Asa, thank you so much for coming in. Pleasure. It's been a real insight. Asa, if people want to see or hear more from you, where can they find you? Well, you can find me at The Telegraph. Yes. Uh, and I normally sort of pop on you know, Sky or BBC talking about Brexit. Whenever there's Brexit in the news, I am there. It's like the bat signal for me. <laughs> and otherwise on Twitter at Asa Ben, which is A-S-A-B-E-N-N. I'm making a really fussy point about this, only because if you look up Asa Bennett, uh, he is a musician who is pro-Remain and pro-Corbyn. And so often he gets abuse oh. for whenever I've written thing or done something, uh, which bless him you know he shrugs off like yeah. a honey badger because right. you know, yeah. he doesn't give a shit hopefully yeah. Yeah. Okay. but yeah damn it he's got you know an iron hide that man he's okay. 
He could take care. Oh yeah. yeah. I think sometimes we've act- he's accidentally received invoices from for me. Because <laughs> very obviously I've got a very particular name, so it's stunning how they can mix us up. But they do. Amazing. It just happens from time to time. I'll make sure I, try, I don't add him in when I post about this podcast coming out. That'll be much appreciated. Yeah. <laughs> Particularly if he gets all the uh, Paul Hollywood fans, the fans of Galloway, the Harry the Potter fans. Oh, the Potterverse <laughs> will come after him as a result. <laughs> you know, the sort of bread makers of the world will unite. You yeah, know. Yeah. Oh, I've gone after them all. <laughs> Asa, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you for having me. Mm-hmm.